Welcome back, imposters. It is a beautiful holiday Monday here. The sun is shining, and I am pumped to bring you the next episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast. My name is Courtney Heater, your host here, and I will be joined by Alan Hesse, a conservation biologist with very little training in his endeavor we will talk about. We will be exploring climate change education presented through graphic novels. So he is doing two things he is not traditionally trained for, educating others about climate change and publishing graphic novels. Talking about the graphic novels within the episode, we're going to reference this as his entrepreneurship endeavors. So we will learn all about the aspects of graphic novel publishing and how that very much so makes him an entrepreneur. Before we jump in, though, I need to share an amazing message I heard on the Ologies podcast. I've plugged this podcast before in my first interview on the pod, and a recent episode about carnivore ecology had me just about sobbing with joy. Look at that. He's making me cry. The guest, Ray Wynn Grant, was asked a listener question about wanting to get involved in the field, wildlife conservation, without taking unpaid internships. So Ray Wynn Grant is a carnivore ecologist. Allie Ward is the host of Ology. So Allie Ward sourced this question for Ray Wynn Grant. And Ray's advice slash opinion is don't take the unpaid internships. Her reasoning, experience is important, but there's so much work that needs to be done that is critical to species survival, literally, and they would be remiss to dismiss someone without experience who is passionate about making a difference in the world. She recognizes that there are too many barriers of entry into the field, and she is working to break down the barriers. And you guys, know that that is what you're not qualified is all about that's why we talk about these things and that's why i interview people that do just that they're getting involved in things they're incredibly passionate about without a traditional background because the world needs them sometimes oftentimes we do not have the luxury to take unpaid work to gain experience in a field that is just the reality of our world We need to eat, we need to clothe ourselves, we need to feed our families, we need to shelter. Thus, those in the field looking to bring other people in, they have this realistic idea of it and they have a goal of getting passionate people in, period. Go listen to that episode. Again, it's on carnivore ecology, please. Passion is so important. It is often more important. Learn what you can, where you can. But friends, please just go for it. Go do that thing. To hell with qualifications. We need your passion. Do you really want to do something? Are you very afraid that you're going to get turned down because you don't look like the other person wanting to do it in terms of what is on your CV or what is on your resume? Do it anyway. Do it anyway and you will be better for it. 
Hell, you might even actually get the opportunity or get the job. Just try it. We need you. The world needs you. Okay, so <laughs> off my soapbox for just a little bit, but we're going to get right back on with Alan here in a moment. So shall we go meet Alan? I think we shall. Let's go. Well, there are already so many big men fighting this war. Maybe what we need now is a little guy. Welcome, Alan, to the You're Not Qualified podcast, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Courtney. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. So you are an entrepreneur slash climate change educator, maybe climate change educator first, entrepreneur second. I yes, don't know definitely. which, okay. <laughs> which yeah. uh, route we would go, but your background is in conservation biology. So yeah. you have actually like pretty little formal training around climate change and right. beginning these conversations, I really like to get into the nitty gritty of exactly why you are actually unqualified to do what you're doing. So based on traditional qualifications, why are you unqualified for this? Because climate change is, is very much, uh, it's multidisciplinary. It really is, but it has, it has a strong foundation in science. And that means climate science, which means climatology, weather, all that kind of thing, even engineering, physical sciences, geology, uh, geography, and these things. But it also has a very strong political element and social element, all about <clears throat> policy, policy making and sociology, none of which I've studied. My background is, is zoology and psychology mm. and with experience of conservation. And so technically I'm not qualified as a climate educator, even though I have to say I'm, I'm taking a very good course right now on climate science to really hone in on the, just confirm a few things that I, I needed to, to, up, to catch up on. Yeah, that's awesome to just continue education anytime, yeah. but that's oh, a yeah. cool course. Why did you choose this route then? You create graphic novels, which we will get much much into a little bit later on, but why do you choose this route out of all of the different ways that you could talk about climate change? It's because I found the subject so back in 2015, I found the subject of climate change starting to encroach on my work in conservation because it just became more and more of, a, of an issue to talk about. I found that I knew very little about the subject of climate change and I had to know something because I was talking to stakeholders like farmers in the Andes and discussing weather patterns and rainfall and stuff like this. And, and I really, climate change became more and more of a subject that you just had to put into your discourse in conservation. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I don't really know much about this. My team knows nothing about this. So I have to do something. So I did a climate change course, actually. I did at the Univ Oregon State University for, for two weeks. But it was just a very super, it was like a, a, a broad, high level introduction. And I came back and decided I want to teach climate change to children too. And the best way to do that is to, to do a graphic novel. And this coincided with my publisher saying, hey, it's time we did another book. What do you think of climate change? They've said to me. So it was kind of like a coincidence. And so I jumped on the, at the chance and I chose the graphic novel medium because it allows me to have storytelling mm -hmm. mixed in with the science and the technical stuff to make all that technical stuff more entertaining and more palatable, especially for children. And that's a whole subject I could talk more about. 
but that's the reason I chose that medium, the graphic novel. It's, uh, it's an entertaining way of presenting a very difficult subject. It is. It, it, in a way, it like makes light of the issue is the wrong way to say it, but it makes it much more approachable and yeah. less, less doomsday, I think. That's right. When you mix humor with it, then you can, you can dampen down the, the toughness of the messaging sometimes. You can, by mixing it with entertainment and with a story, uh, with characters and situations that are humorous and a bit of adventure, a lot of travel and geography, it, you can dilute the gravity of the situation without losing the focus on the facts. Mm-hmm. but also make it more like spread it out over a story and over the story my characters gradually explore different aspects of climate change and also a lot of climate change solutions because they're mostly about solutions my books yeah i'm happy to hear that i feel like it's especially applicable to children because a lot of them don't know it yet but this is going to be more and more their reality Yep. As yep, right. as they age, they are the last surviving hope. <laughs> yes, and imagine the whole generation growing up with all the language already in place, with all the language about sustainability, for example, already in place. Because when we talk about climate solutions, we're talking actually about sustainability a lot of the time in terms of a mindset mm-hmm. and societal change. Mm-hmm. And so all this now younger generation growing up with the language of sustainability practice already ingrained they gonna hopefully take some shortcuts and not make the same mistakes that previous generations have made so for that reason also yeah but before we get into the graphic novels that alan made prior to the one that we're mainly going to focus on for this episode i wanted to give you a little bit of a background on the one that we're focusing on for this episode and the one that he the graphic novel he uses to teach climate change education So it is called The Adventures of Captain Polo. Captain Polo is a polar bear. And we'll talk a lot more about what adventures Captain Polo has. It's a series of graphic novels about the causes and effects and actions to fight climate change around the world, all told with Captain Polo as the main character, this awesome polar bear in a captain's hat. That is really a very fun character, and he has really uh, silly and fun and uh, really relatable adventures for kids of many ages. So definitely go and check that out, and we'll learn much more about it soon. But now we're going to talk about how Alan got into graphic novels and what he was doing with it before. So you did graphic novel illustrations and like you wrote and illustrated before this. Yeah. What topics did you focus on before? Oh, my, my first graphic novel was a collaboration with a well-known field ecologist. She's well-known, Dr. Louise Emmons. She works at the Smithsonian. She's well-known in Latin America because she's really trained generations of wildlife biologists in the field. And she's something of a legend uh, in this part of the world. And she happens to be a friend of mine because I worked alongside her for a while in Bolivia in the past life. And and she, we decided to write a book together where I would do the the comic strips of her science. So she would write me the stories of, it's called Fables of the Amazon. 
fun lessons in ecology. And it's all about wildlife ecology of the Amazon. Coming from Louise's 40 years of research experience firsthand and me illustrating her stories. So that's the first collaboration that I did. And then a second, uh, some years later, a second uh, graphic novel I did was in the Galapagos Islands. I was hired to do one about Charles Darwin and the theory of natural selection. And so that was a really fantastic uh, experience doing researching the, the book out there uh, in the islands walking over places where darwin himself had been oh, in 1859 man. and actually drawing the landscapes firsthand and having the entire scientific staff of the charles darwin foundation on site to check the, no- the graphic novel before it got published to make sure that to i got all the sure. science yeah. So that was a very amazing experience. That's incredible. Yeah. That's it's such a scientific feat for um, oh, yes. anybody. Yes. Yeah. I feel and like I'd anybody would be evolu- ecstatic. I'd studied evolution at length at university because I graduated in 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 behavioral science, which is a combination of uh, zoology and psychology, and a mm. large part of that was animal behavior, and a large part of that is evolution. And so I had studied it and it was always a bit of a shaky subject, but I had an opportunity to really go in depth to my research, reading papers and uh, reading Darwin's own books and books about Darwin during a whole year before, before publishing the book. So that was a really amazing experience and was very lucky to have very distinguished scientists actually take an interest in verifying. It's an animal thing. I'm just like, I want to do that. I want to go and do that. Yeah. I have no scientific once, degree, but... <laughs> it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, I tell you. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so, correct me if I'm wrong, you've released book four of Captain Polo's yeah. adventures. So Captain Polo, yeah. I'll add a, a screenshot of this for the listeners, but Captain Polo is a polar bear that yes, he is. goes through the adventures and educates about climate change. What are the books all about? Yes, Captain Polo is a polar bear. And and the the books are, it's a series. And the books are about this polar bear who starts off just as an ordinary polar bear who is the melting melting ice in the Arctic is a reality uh, of climate change. And uh, polar bears are greatly affected by this in real life because that's their habitat. And so this caricature bear is, starts off his journey as just another bear. And he gets isolated from the Arctic uh, environment on, a, on an iceberg that starts to drift with the Atlantic currents southwards. And as it drifts, it melts, of course. And that's where his journey really begins. It's a fiction story. But there's some elements of fantasy in it because it's a bear who is bipedal, who can talk, who can use cash, who can sail a boat. I have to have these things in there to make him uh, fulfill his purpose. So it's a fiction story, but he goes around the world. Polo goes around the world and meets all kinds of people, has all kinds of adventures, meets characters who are human and non-human. And each one of them in a geographical location will shed some insight on the effects of climate change and how they're coping with it. And also some of the solutions that uh, many people are already implementing around the world. Mm-hmm. So that that's it really books one to three, one, two and three is a single story that continues one, two, three. Uh, it goes around the world and he, the character undergoes a transformation from just a regular old bear to actually a, an activist and communicator for climate change 
who has become famous because wherever he goes, the media uh, picks up on this amazing bear that, that, that talks and walks and uh, sails boats. And yeah, so he attracts attention, becomes famous, becomes friends with Barack Obama, who's in my third book. It's not just about what I will do as president. It is also about what you, the people who love this country, the citizens of the United States of America can do to change it. That's what this election is all about. Okay, that one, that one was a little long in terms of a little add-in track, but uh, I just really miss Obama sometimes. Leonardo DiCaprio, who's in my third book. Love uh, it. These celebrities are all caricatured in the book. And, uh, and so Polo becomes like an ambassador, an honored guest of government. Mm-hmm. A bit of a spokes bear for <laughs> the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom being mute in real life with all the things that humans do. Yeah, the animal really kingdom has no voice. Metaphor, yep. So Polo is like their, their voice. And, and book four continues loosely from that trilogy but it's not directly connected to that trilogy. In other words, you could pick up book four and read it on its own, you know, without having read the first three. But book four continues the the traveling. And every time I I take Captain Polo to different parts of the world, because I'm very interested in looking at climate change effects and also solutions, innovations, societal innovations in the global south, all around the world. And it's an opportunity to to celebrate people from those parts of the world as well. Absolutely. Do you travel to the places that Polo goes to study there directly? Oh, I wish I could. I would love to. No, but I've been to many of them mm-hmm. already in my various travels. But I would love, but I do a lot of research, of course, and that includes a lot of online Google Earth and Google yeah. Maps. And, <laughs> and so all the settings are very accurate. Oh yeah, that's and so he is the only animal in his world that talks. That's why Uh, he's like the spokes bear. Okay. Yeah, he meets a frog in Colombia who talks, but it's not. Okay. They're not main character. He's the main character, and in book four he picks up. He has another character who I'm developing, which is a penguin. I won't. It would be a spoiler alert, but the (laughs) penguin comes into the story at the end of book three, and there's a reason for it. And there's a reason why he's involved in book four, but uh, you're going to have to to read the you book to, to read. find out. <laughs> Can we get these graphic novels really anywhere that they're sold? Yeah, yeah, okay. you, they're all on Amazon as eBooks and on paper as a paperbacks, and they're on they're in Barnes and Noble and and other stores by order, of course, only. I, my my dream is to have them on shelf space in proper bookstores. But anyone who's a self-published author will tell you that is a very difficult thing to achieve uh, on your own, on your as a self-published author. That kind of leads into the entrepreneurial side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. There a couple episodes ago, there was an author, a self-published author that I talked Uh to, and she really, yeah, went into it. It's becoming easier, but it's definitely difficult. And even then there's only three or four houses that will, you know, yeah. that like the publishing conglomerates. So it's like, we need indie publishers. Yeah. We need, yes. yeah, absolutely. Yes. It's, it's, they, they, I think the publishing industry looks at the sales of individual authors, self-published authors, their sales record and their social media following and things like this. 
And if they make a lot of sales as self-published authors, they're more likely to get a, a deal with, they're more likely to get their books on shelves in proper stores. It, it's a cutthroat industry, that I can tell you. And it's pretty tough. It's pretty, but anyway, the books are there. You just have to go online. My mm -hmm. website also has, they're all listed on my website. Okay. And that I'll, yeah. I'll link that definitely in the yeah, show notes yeah. for everybody. Yeah, great. I'm going to have to get my hand on some. That's so cool. And he's really quite a cute bear. <laughs> yeah. Courtney, um, the, the first book of the series, book one, is free as an ebook oh, off my okay. website. Okay. That's one of my ways of growing my, my mailing list. Perfect. So anyone who wants to get book one and doesn't mind giving me their email in return can download it for free from, from my website. Love it. To get I'll you add that too. And then I will <laughs> yeah. yep, I'll go there right after this and then put that in there oh, for cool. everybody else. So the future of Captain Polo is probably proprietary information, but do you have an idea of how many graphic novels you want to make for his adventures? Ah, that's a very good question. I, I know that there's at least two more coming. I'm working on the fifth one route right now, which is Polo in Brazil. Okay. He's continuation of book four. His journey with book the four is called... Oh, what's that? Sorry. With the penguin. The, the, book four is essentially a, a journey from the North to the South Pole, but he doesn't get to the South Pole. And book five continues that journey where he does get to the South Pole, but he doesn't really because he goes through Brazil on the way and gets so caught up in all the so much to say about the Amazon and all this mm. that I decided, no, let's make book five all about Brazil, dedicated to that country. And book six will then be arriving in the Antarctic. You may wonder, why Brazil? Why would Alan choose to focus on Brazil as a destination for Captain Polo for a whole book? Well, Brazil is home to rainforests, and Brazil is a unique ecosystem, and it's particularly threatened by the impacts of climate change. And it impacts Brazil in multiple ways. And the consequences of global warming observed today are everywhere. But it's especially vulnerable to climate change because it's the largest rainforest in the world, the Amazon region is. And it represents 40% of all remaining rainforests on the planet. And about 65% of the Amazon region is located in Brazil. And then the remainder is distributed across eight additional countries. And Brazil is the largest country in South America. So there is lots going on to help climate change in the region. But there is one step forward, two steps back in terms of how the country is able to handle it and all of the, the different intricacies that come with that. I am by no means an expert on this. And I would encourage you to do your own research if you're very curious about how the impacts of climate change are impacting the Amazon rainforest and Brazil. I got a lot of good information when I just looked this up from conservation.org. And then I uh, just Googled, you know, and found um, a couple of different sources that I will link in the show notes as well in terms of how Brazil is impacted by climate change and exactly why it's such a big deal. And you can know more about why Alan chose to focus there. And after that, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Too I far ahead. I love the journey because polar bears are 
not the words I believe endemic is that means that they were originally there to the Antarctic, but the penguins are. So absolutely. I'm really curious if the penguins are going to flip their shit. Oh no. Because they are like now have this huge carnivore on land. I know. It's been traveling everywhere. But that might be a little bit out of the realm for PG. I know, but that's a very good point. And you're right. Polar bears live in the Arctic. Penguins live in the Antarctic. And I flipped it around. uh, But there's a reason for that. And and yeah, Polo will arrive in the Antarctic and and there will be some exciting events. I have no idea what they are, but I'll have to think about it. (laughs) That's book six. That's in a long, that's still a way off. That is. Do you publish once a year? (laughs) I try to. Yeah, I try to. It's it, the research takes a long time, uh-huh. and and then I have to write the whole thing out. I'm doing that right now. I'm writing book five out. I use a word document and I just write out the action scenes, the dialogues, and I bring in all the research, mix it up with the dialogues to have a kind of a balance between fiction and nonfiction. I have to keep it light and fun, but I also have to make the point that I want to make. And so that's what I'm working on right now for book five. Okay. So looking forward to it. One more question about Captain Polo. How was he born for you? Like, where was the idea from? Yeah, he just popped into my head. Mm. I just, I was sat down one day and said, I've got to do this. I'm going to do this book about climate change, which I know very little about. How shall I start? I need a character. Uh what animal I wanted to be an animal I was inspired by a character that in the U.S. may not be well known it's Tintin with a dog yeah Mm -hmm. Tintin the reporter and the dog these are comics from the 1930s Belgium so it's going way back but Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of those books and Asterix books as well which are uh, pretty much legendary in, in Europe and anyway I was inspired by this traveling adventurer character And I needed a character that was easy to draw because I needed to be easy and quick to draw in any situation, in any position, of any expression. And I needed a character that was emblematic of climate change in some way. So choosing, I don't know, choosing a dog or, or some kind of monkey or something wouldn't work because polar bears being in the Arctic are the, really one of the first victims of, of climate change. Uh, because of what's happening to the Arctic warms, the poles warm at least twice as fast as in anywhere else on the planet because of global warming. And so the poles are especially vulnerable and the, therefore the ecosystems at the poles are also especially vulnerable. And the top predator, the top dog in the Arctic is the polar bear. And everybody knows polar bears, even though we may not have seen one, but we all know about them. And and it's a bear. And if you look at the literature and children's literature, notice how many bears are in it. There's something about bears which are cuddly and relatable. Paddington bear, Winnie the Pooh, even Smokey Bear in the US. Lots of through Disney. Yep. Yep. Disney, yeah. Baloo. Yeah. There's a lot of bears out there in the children's entertainment world. So I thought, wow, a polar bear, that would be perfect. perfect. Even if it's a little bit cliche. It's a little bit stereotype, I know, but I don't care. It's perfect character. I, that's how I agree. Polo was born. And then the captain part comes later. In book one, you find out why he, he wears a cap, a captain's cap. 
Okay. And why he becomes a captain. That is a reason for that. And, and I had to, I have to say that originally the first book uh, was published as books one, two, and three, all in one oh, okay. single volume. And it was called The Adventures of Polo the Bear. But I had to rebrand that name because it was very similar to other existing products out there. And I had to find something a little bit more unique. So I changed it to Captain Polo, which goes well with the character because he is a captain. He's a sea captain. He's, you know, he, he sails boats. Did he eat the original captain? It'll only hurt for a moment, I promise. I'm a fast eater. No, no, there's none of that. Because <laughs> uh, I know that just... humans are like in, actually like in their dietary realm. They're the only bear they, that will, yeah. like humans are, they were part of their yeah. food system. Yeah. Uh, only if provoked by humans. Only, not naturally. A polar bear will not naturally eat a human. Oh. No. If, oh, if humans okay. provoke them, then you're in for trouble. Okay. But no, polar bears mainly hunt walrus and seals, it's large really mammals. Yeah, but they are dangerous for sure. They're very dangerous to humans. Sure. They, because of global warming, they migrate south to where human settlements are. Northern Canada, northern Siberia have seen invasions of polar bears in like outlying settlements and villages and towns. And the bears are looking for food. And they're driven, they're driven south because of the global warming. Like it's changing yeah. their habitat. Yeah. And so they're driven by necessity. Of course, that puts them into contact with humans, which creates news stories about bears attacking humans. But it's all the fault of the humans in the first place. Mm-hmm. But but no, Polo doesn't attack humans in the stories. Okay. But he does beat them up occasionally. I mean, you they know, probably it, might deserve it sometimes. They do deserve it. They yeah. they do. And Polo, at the end of the day, his character, he, he is a bear. He's a wild animal. Mm-hmm. And there's only so much he's able to put up with humans. And there are several scenes in my books where he just smashes the human into the ground or sends them up flying. But these are in the gen- in the spirit of Looney Tunes. Uh-huh. No one gets hurt seriously. <laughs> they all just pop back. They, they just get pop hit back. by a hammer. Yeah. Yeah, they just pop back. No one dies or anything like that. <laughs> okay. and, and Polo does hunt in my books, but he never really catches anything because that also is very realistic. Many, most hunts by polar bears end in failure, statistically. Oh, most I didn't of them end know in that failure. either. That's rough. Yeah, very hard life to be a polar bear. Circle of life. Yep. It's not very favorable to the wild animals. Absolutely not. But they can go a very long time without eating, I believe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Evolutionarily, I guess that's why. They've evolved in a very harsh environment. Yeah. You know, they're adapted to it. Okay. I could probably talk about just Polo this whole time, but I'm super interested in the entrepreneur (laughs) side of your work as well. Because you have created this brand, not even through Captain Polo, but before that, through like the entrepreneurship side of things. So you're in double respects, unqualified to do that as well. How did the entrepreneurship (laughs) side go? How did that start? First, I should say that to be perfectly honest, I'm still very much in nappies when it comes to being an entrepreneur. It's a very long learning curve and I'm still at the very bottom of it. That's to be completely honest with you. But the point is that I do, I'm a freelancer and I am trying to sell my books, which technically makes me an entrepreneur. Books and other products. And so technically, yeah. And it started 
it basically started when I decided to self-publish. When I found out that the publisher of my first book wasn't actually moving anything to promote the book or market it because they didn't have the resources or the knowledge, then I realized, my goodness, why am I even working with a publisher in that case? Then I need to do my own marketing anyway. So why don't I just self-publish and have full control? And save some money. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And this is a, a reality faced by many self-published authors. And, but of course, when you become a self-published author, you take it on, all of it. And you automatically have to start thinking like an entrepreneur. And it doesn't quite sink in at first because you're still wrapped up in your creative process. You're wrapped up in, I'm an author, the persona. But actually, you are an entrepreneur. You may not be good at it, but you are. So unqualified, completely unqualified, no knowledge of business. But I had to start learning things like promotion and marketing and social media itself, very big area, of yeah. course, and yeah. uh, huge. So it started that way, really. And yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing how much you can learn and pick up along the way, mostly by making lots of mistakes. So many mistakes, more mistakes <laughs> than anything else. I can identify with that. So can we catch you on TikTok? Nope, not on TikTok. <laughs> nope. I, I, I know I maybe should be on TikTok though, because I've That's heard what it's, I've been told. it's one of the main promotion tools. And I've heard there's a thing called BookTok, oh. which is all about books on TikTok. So I have this kind of prejudice about TikTok being about 12-year-old girls dancing with their friends. But I know that's not true. I know yeah. there's a lot more to it. Yeah, those are just the millionaires. Those are the, the really right. successful ones. But okay. your uh, target demographic for your graphic novel, especially the Captain Polo, what is it? Middle grade. Okay. Generation Z. Yeah. Gen Z, middle you grade. Gotta go to but those are the readers. Yeah. Those are the readers. The buyers are millennials. Okay. So the, the parents. buyers are the, are the parents of those, and those tend to be millennials. So, yeah, I have two audiences buyers and readers. When, when it comes to children's books, you always have two audiences, the readers and the buyers, because children under the age of 13 are not supposed to be buying books on Amazon or other places, even though I'm sure some of them do. Uh, they probably get hold of their parents' credit cards. But, but yeah, the, the readership is middle grade, although a lot of adults have enjoyed them. And I even got a review once saying that we should have these books placed in front of our politicians, which I completely agree with. Yeah. I feel like it would be a fun activity to buy a bunch of these and then send them off to your yeah. local representatives. This is just for the United States House of Representatives, so just for the United States. But if you go to house.gov, there's this great tool, Find Your Representative. So if you don't know what your congressional district is or who the member is, you can put in your zip code to this great little tool that they have on this website, and it'll pull up links to your members' websites and contact pages. So if you wanna send them a book about climate change, or if you just want to write them a letter letting them know how you feel about climate change in your respective area and how you would like to see certain policies in your area or what have you to contribute to the solution, house.gov. Yep. Yeah, I, I absolutely. 
Absolutely. Something that I, I think. <laughs> Please, everybody listening, do that. Crowdsource this. <laughs> that, oh my gosh, it's such a, a necessary thing because we are running out of time. So yes. let's talk about those mistakes that you made. What, oh my goodness. what were there? How can we learn from this? How can I begin? I guess the biggest and overarching mistake is naivety. Just naivety of, of thinking that just because you create a product and put it out there, people are going to, if there's no promote, this might sound obvious to, to you and, and your listeners. I and mean, it sounds obvious to me now, but when I started, it wasn't that obvious. If you don't promote your product strategically and systematically, nothing is going to happen. And so uh, a lot of authors, myself included, get wrapped up in the whole process of creating the product. And they tend to disregard the, the hard part, which is 80% of the work, which is actually you know, marketing that product. But mistakes include throwing money in the wrong direction, throwing money away. There's a lot of online businesses that are legitimate and there's even more online businesses that are not so legitimate in terms of helping out struggling authors or creatives who are trying to be entrepreneurs but they're not really because they're not qualified and in other words they don't have the principles the solid foundation of a business training or even a marketing training to to really know what they're doing and so it's very easy to throw money away and then regret it. One mistake, to be very precise, was Amazon have ads. You can do Amazon ads where you, you put a budget down, a bit like Facebook ads. You put a budget down for what you're promoting and you pay by click. People click on your ad and then you pay five cents. There's a science to it and it's worth doing your research and there's online resources that are free that explain how to do it. But I, so I, I decided I wasn't gonna be bothered. I said, this can't be rocket science. Yeah. I'll just put an ad up there and uh, put a budget and see what happens. I ended up, I spent $300 and I got $30 back in sales. Well, that worked out nicely. So I made a massive loss. Mm. And, but that was a lesson. I didn't dwell on it. It was a lesson. Another lesson is, if I'm going to do Facebook ads, do my research, learn how to do it properly. And, and I know that, again, uh, there are resources out there. I, I have access to them, but it's just, it's the time budget. How much time do you want to invest in learning all these things? And it just piles up. So a big lesson learned is when you are starting out as an entrepreneur, you really do need to have a strategy for marketing and you need to put the money wisely. You, you will have to spend money to earn money. It's part of your budget. But you have to have, you have to try and create a budget for self-development. That's very important. Everyone who works in finance and in investments, which is another area which I've explored over mm -hmm. the past few years, mm -hmm. is your best investment is in yourself. Mm -hmm. In other words, do the train yourself in what you're trying to do first so that you don't make those mistakes down the road. But uh, yeah, those are the kind of big pitfalls. Yeah. Do you think that there's any benefit to even immediately hiring somebody to do that type of marketing for you and put that in your budget? Because I know that would probably be, you'd have to pay for the clicks, but you'd also have to pay for that service, but they could yeah. maybe get a better return. 
Yeah, definitely. There are lots of platforms out there and, and lots of very experienced marketers who specialize in this and they, they offer these services. It's a big budget. It, it tends to be expensive because the potential returns can be quite high. So they, you have to, it can cost thousands of dollars to hire someone to do that for you. So it's a decision. Probably would save a lot of headache and allow you to focus on what you're good at, which is good creating the content in the first yeah. place. I wish I could do that, actually. I've reached a point where I'm sick of the whole entrepreneur thing, and I wouldn't mind handing it off to someone, but I don't have the budget for it right now. It's a, That's a very individual decision. Yeah. Uh, but I will say, Courtney, that you have to be aware of what appear to be very cheap offers. Okay. These services are expensive. And if you find something that's relatively cheap and go for that, you're probably wasting your money. All right. So buyer beware. Do your research. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I would say specifically for author entrepreneurs is really the bottom line is know your audience as much as possible Mm -hmm. and try and cater to that audience. I'm, it wasn't a mistake. I won't say this was a mistake, but it was definitely a lesson that I learned at the beginning, a couple like two years ago, I came across a publicist who was offering uh, his services very cheaply because publicists are expensive. But this one was offering something I could actually afford. And it was like amazing. And I hired him for six months. And it was a good experience because he got me connected to podcasts, which is what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. And I'd never done a podcast before. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that wasn't good was that it wasn't the right audience. It wasn't the right subject. It was I was talking to fantasy uh, readers because this publicist was a specialist on fan, for fantasy authors, fantasy author entrepreneurs. And I didn't see that. And I just considered it, wow, I'm going to get interviewed. How cool is that? So for many uh-huh. months, I spent time talking to charming podcast hosts such as yourself. But the subject matter wasn't at all related to my books or to my interests. These were people who were interviewing horror authors or like fantasy writers, epic fantasy writers. And it really wasn't my audience. So all of that exposure was wasted. Talk about then. We talked about the book production process, just generic author stuff. Yeah. Which was, as I say, I don't consider it a mistake because it, it did get me introduced to the idea of doing podcasts. Yeah. And they gave me the confidence to talk. But, but I would say be wary of your audience. And as an entrepreneur, you do need to get the exposure. And I think podcasts is a great way of appearing, getting on podcasts. But try to get the podcast that, that focus on your subject. Yeah, and, I would know, agree so with match, the podcast, but I'm biased. But Matchmaker, where we met, mm-hmm. is very good for that. It's a very good resource. And it, it's a version that's free, a really good version yeah. that's free. If you want, Absolutely. you can pay by, too. Um, but yeah. You can be your own publicist. Absolutely. By a, a matchmaker, I have found so many amazing podcasts and all of them have interviewed me. And it's all been about the subjects that, that are relevant. Yeah. And that's a really good distinction to make is you market yourself, but know your audience. And that's applicable to authors and a lot of other different mediums too. Just know who you're talking to and exactly. And from the opposite side of it, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur, but talking to you, I'm like, like a starting a podcast, it might be considered that because it's like still a business. I don't make money, but I will someday probably, but I have a very 
specific idea about what it's about and then only talk about those things. So it's, yeah, yeah picking You're building a following. You're building a following yeah. on your podcast. You're building your following. And those, that, those followers could one day become buyers if you produce a product that you sell. You yeah. But at that point, you'd become an entrepreneur. So every, any entrepreneur will always need to build a following a client base. And that is worth its weight in gold. If you can get a client base, I don't really have one, actually, because I have subscribers on my website, a few, but they're mostly there out of goodwill or just simple curiosity or by accident. (laughs) I won't say that any of them are buyers. If I produce my next book tomorrow, I don't think any of them will rush out and buy it. So they don't really count from an entrepreneurial perspective. Have you considered yeah. like a Patreon or something? I don't know what that is. Oh, a patron. A Patreon. It's, yeah, Patreon. It's a website where you can okay. have subscribers, but they pay to be in like, like a special group. So what you could do as an author for your Patreon subscribers is they get a free look at a book that's not published yet. And they get really special treatment in terms of your audience because they're paying for it. So you could say, if you give me $5 a month, then I will send you a copy of the fifth book before it's published and distributed elsewhere. So Patreon is, I'm not a level that that makes sense for me, but if you already have a product that you're selling, I think it might make sense for you. I'll just Google it. Patreon with an E, right? Eon, Patreon. P A T R E O N, I believe. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yep. And that could start for the monetary. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're already selling. Yeah, I I, I checked that out. Absolutely. So your your graphic novel though, because it's it's a book, can you just drop it off at libraries? Does it work that way? So you can give it to them for free marketing? Yeah. I, I would do if I lived anywhere where there were libraries. But I'm in Ecuador, and, and the, that's not the way it works here. If I were living in the UA, US or the UK or Canada or somewhere like that, I would definitely contact my local library, organize. Author entrepreneurs can do this. It's a very good idea to do that. You give some copies away to your library. You offer to do book signings, events. Libraries, I've been told, are always desperate to get in authors and do you know, live events. I wish I could do all of that. But I'm, I'm not living in the right place right now to make that happen. But all of these things are possible. How do libraries work in Ecuador? Or how People does really use, free not, books? There, are not, there aren't really any libraries. Oh. No. Reading isn't. The bookshops, there are far and few between. The bookshops that exist, the books are all wrapped up individually in cellophane. You can't browse them. You go in and buy what you want, and they're very expensive. Like a paperback book is like, it can be a lot more expensive than other places because there isn't much to, there isn't, it's just not, it's just not part of the tradition really to wow. use bookshops and libraries. And this is true all over a lot of Latin American countries. Argentina, on the contrary, is very good on, on bookshops, they, and Mexico as well, but other countries less so. People are, people communicate and interact with each other much more organically and verbally it's a cultural thing but yeah if i lived in somewhere where libraries work i would definitely do that if you ever decide you want to do a u.s shipment or something of your books i'm happy to help facilitate distributed to libraries in the u.s since i live here 
<laughs> that's, oh, that's everything. Very, that's very sweet of you, Courtney. I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. That. I'm happy to help. I remember that. I think yeah, that it would be a big that's hit. That's good to know. Uh, distribution is one of my big problems because mm. of the geography. I have to I have to offer the books on print on demand. Print on demand for those who are not familiar with the term means that if you can print and just order one book, that's fine. But normally printers, you have to have a print run because of printing costs. It's expensive to print a single book. So traditional printers won't do print on demand. You have to have like 700 copies or a thousand copies. But a print on demand has the advantage of you can offer your book for sale. And if one person wants one book, they can order and get one book. Less waste. It's more ecological, actually. Yeah. But print on demand is it's more expensive per book to print. Uh, so there's always, you know, pros and cons. And nice. again, as an entrepreneur, you need to look at all this, understand it. Do your maths and your spreadsheets and work out the best way to get your books out there. Yeah. Uh, when you think about it, an author just wants to write books. They don't want to be worrying about shipment and all this stuff. That's why they hire, that's where they go with publishers. Yeah. But when the publishers don't market the books, then you lose out. So <laughs> it's a bit of a, it's a tough one. Yeah. And there's always going to be a trade-off. Your time yes, versus yep. money versus yep. that's right. economics. Yeah. I have a question about the, because you're not from the climate change background per se, and I, I think not so much for an entrepreneur, this would qualify, but have you had anybody that tells you to your face that they don't feel like you should be writing about climate change because you didn't study it and like maybe the facts they're worried about the facts anything no never had that luckily i've never had that experience the reason being that i really do my research i really do my research and i consult experts like the research includes interviews and zoom calls with mm -hmm. top climate change experts the, the first three books were endorsed by uh, a gentleman called professor johan rockstrom who is the head of the Potsdam Institute of Climate in, in Germany, I believe. And he's one of the top 10 climate scientists on the planet. And wow. I managed to get him to endorse the first books, That's the amazing. Captain Polo books. And, and he had nothing but praise. If he's happy with the science, then I'm good to go. <laughs> I would agree with that. And that's a really good yeah. lesson for those that even in authorship or maybe not, if you are not familiar with the subject that you're writing about, then ask the experts. Oh yeah. Pull the experts. You know, yeah. Absolutely. That is an obvious mistake to avoid, but good that you mention it, Courtney. If you're going to write anything that includes nonfiction in it, make sure you know what you're talking about. That goes to the whole point of your podcast, which is you don't need to have studied formally. Yeah to be able to be an authority on the subject. Look yeah. at Elon Musk. That's a really I, I good example. example. Yeah. Steve Jobs is another example. These are people who change the world, right? Mark Zuckerberg, yep. Yeah. He didn't they even finish have. college. Yeah. Exactly. But that doesn't mean that you don't do your homework. That doesn't yeah. mean that you don't study. That doesn't mean that you be, don't become an authority. You do become an authority. Yeah. But you do it your own way. You don't do it for school. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's yeah. so many paths 
to yes. becoming qualified. Oh. Uh, yeah, and never has it been so so easy to do to be because of of internet. We have uh, knowledge at the fingertips of right now. I told you at the beginning, I'm taking a free online course delivered by Dr. Michael Mann, who's one of the other top ten climate scientists in the world. Yeah, it's a free course about climate science. It's difficult. It's all about atmospheric science and physics and all this, but it's done in a way which anyone with a basic level of, of education can grasp. Mm-hmm. And it's an eight-week course, and it's completely free. So there's a lot out there, and and of course there are courses that are you can pay for them. And I have taken many courses that I've paid for, as well as free ones, and the paying ones are affordable usually. And if, platforms like Udemy and others. Yeah, exactly. They're all affordable. All affordable yeah. and a lot of yeah. the really prestigious colleges will offer their courses for free as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Online or not. But, uh, right. And what I'm seeing with climate actually is, is because it's such a pressing issue and it has become so recognized as a pressing issue at last on, on a global level. So many really top level institutions are offering free training on that subject because the idea is that everybody has to know about this subject. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do. This is our home that is burning. And we can do a lot about it. That's yeah. the good news. That's the good. In order to do what we need to do, we need to understand it. And so a lot of resources are out there, are completely free, accessible, and they're also really well designed. There are was a wealth of courses that are like two hours long each. So you just watch a video Love that. Divided into eight-minute video chunks. Yeah. And so every day you can say, I'm going to do eight minutes. And you and you complete your little module. You even get a certificate at the end of it. Well, you put that on your LinkedIn, you're good to go. Yeah, yeah. it just shows that you're trying, that you're educating yourself. Yeah. And it's never been as easy as, as it is today. And if you have more questions, you can contact people, cold emailing. People respond and they're happy yeah. to talk about their expertise. I have one question from a listener for you. Yeah. And this is about being an entrepreneur. The question yeah. is, it's a great question. How much should you market yourself versus market your business? What should that trade-off be? That is a very good question. I would say you represent your brand and independently of your product, you need to convince people to trust you. So marketing, they're two separate processes. So marketing yourself is all about building relationships and building trust in yourself. So for example, someone like me, who's marketing a product that is about an expert subject. If I want people to buy my product, I need to come across as authentic. I need to come across as someone who knows their stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's promoting myself. And that's what I'm doing right now on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to sell a book on this podcast. I'm just selling myself. Mm-hmm. Right? People need to see who am I? What are the challenges I've had? They need to see the flaws, the, the wins, the losses. They need to see that I'm like everybody else. I am, I'm just a not an imperfect uh, work in progress. And so that makes you relatable to your potential clients. So that's marketing yourself. And that, I would say, is very important and should be permanent and parallel to anything else you're doing. And then marketing your business 
Well, that's very much more about the product, about what you offer. Why should people buy your products? What is the benefit to them? Why is it good for them? It's all about them. It's all about them. So the first part of the question is all about me. It's all about who I am. But the second part of the question is all about you. And and I would say that uh, a tactic to achieve the first kind of marketing is social media and uh, and publicity through podcasts. You build relationships that way. You build trust that way. But don't try and sell your stuff on social media. That's another lesson, by the way, going back to your earlier. Okay. Don't sell your stuff on social media. Another big lesson I learned is don't the buy my book, my buy book using Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. It's not about buying. It's about hanging out. It's about building relationships. So I don't know. Have I answered the question? I, uh, I believe so. Yeah. So yeah. it's really about understanding audience, what you're trying to yeah. get out of the exact situation that you're in. And then you might yeah. know, right? So it's social media. Yeah. Don't market yeah. your business, market yourself, podcast, market yeah. yourself. And there's avenues to market your business. Yes. And, and I would say the original question, I think, in my opinion, I think more effort should be spent marketing yourself than your business. Mm-hmm. Because if people inherently know you and trust you and see you as an authority, they're more likely to buy your stuff. Whereas if you, they don't even know who's selling them the stuff, why should they buy from you? Right. There's so much competition out there. Right. What makes you special? Mm-hmm. But if they know yeah. who you are and know a bit about you and relate to you, then they're more likely to pick you over the competition. Exactly. And it's even something as simple as understanding what you look like and what your voice sounds like. That probably, if anybody that listens to this knew of these books before, your graphic novels before, then they'd be like, oh my gosh, that makes me, it's more endearing. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I feel that same way about, yeah. I feel the same way about podcasts that I listen to. It's, I like them more if I really like the host. Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, of the course. material is yeah. second to how much I yes. like the host. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. We are social animals. Yeah. And, um, and it's all about those interactions. You can't get away from it. You can't. <laughs> you don't want to. <laughs> Even if you try, you can't get away. I We're at an hour. I want to be really respectful of your time, but I also want to ask, where can people find you and your graphic novel? We can plug that at the end. Okay. Our website. It's alanhesse.com. That's A-L-A-N-H-E-S-S-E.com. Once again, A-L-A-N-H-E-S-S-E.com. Perfect. Uh, There's all the links and the social media links and all that. It's probably the best place to go, just one-stop shop. I'm on all most social media channels as well under the name of Alan J. Hesse. Alan J. It's important if you look for me online for my books or myself in general to include that middle initial, I have to say, Alan J. Hesse. Because there's an Alan Hesse, I think he's a preacher in Texas. I was like... No, I think it's a preacher in Texas. A preacher in Texas. And I have nothing to do with him. So you have to put that J in, Alan J. Hesse. Okay. Then it it comes up. And that's Instagram, Facebook, not yet TikTok. No, Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Pinterest. Captain Polo has his own Twitter account, and he has his own Instagram account. I didn't know that Polar Bears Uh, could tweet. That's great. Yeah, and and he has Facebook too, but no one really uses Facebook, really. So anyway, in my following, 
So, yeah. But yeah, Polo is on social media and he has his own blog on my website. He has his own page and he writes his own blogs and he will interact personally with his own email with anyone who writes to him. Oh, um, I love you can, that. You can get all that on my website. You can just go to the Captain Polo page and there's all the, there's his email and all that. Oh, that's and like better than up. writing to Santa Claus for a kid. Yeah. That's so that's fun. That's the idea. That's the yeah. idea. Yeah, that's the idea. I'm hoping that kids will engage with Polo mm-hmm. and, and he will write to them personally in special yeah. specialized language. Alan, that's like, genius. That's such a good idea. Well, I, I think so, but I haven't had anyone taking it up so far. In three oh. years, not a single kid has written in. Oh, no way. Uh, Hopefully that changes. Uh, I, I do know that my listener base, I know that they have kids. That I know for yeah. a fact. So yeah. good. Yeah. Good. You twist their arms for me. Tell them they're doing it for the planet. They and, you and they know, are it's, doing it for the planet. They are doing it for the planet. It's become a non-negotiable, guys. All right. We gotta do yeah, this. Yeah. Like non-negotiable. Come on, guys. Get yeah. with it. Get with you it. Oh, well, yeah, I'm super Captain excited. Polo, <laughs> he has his own page. There's a resources page on my website where you can download free things. Okay. Uh, book one, like I told you, the ebook version, a game, a Captain Polo climate change game, which you can download in pieces, <clears throat> like A4 sheets, and then assemble it, A0 size uh, sheet. It's like a, a cross between snakes and ladders and trivial pursuit. Oh, fine. But, but, but it's all about climate change. Okay. And, and that's been proved and tested in classrooms physically by myself and teachers and it works well so you just need a pair of dice and uh, and a couple of counters and and uh, you play the game yeah we are all looking that's for free things as well. to do so, inside that are free so that's perfect yeah 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 it's a good family activity i i tend to promote that at game when it's the wwf earth earth hour in march but there's a, an event it's called earth hour where the whole world shuts down the lights for an hour at 8 p.m local time Everybody is supposed to shut down all their electricity I just for one hour. About that. All That's in one true. as a yeah. team, like global effort. And this is run by WWF, and I always take part. And during that hour, I play the game in my with my family with candlelight. Oh, and I we, love and it. We put it as a reel on Instagram, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, so it's cool to do that as a family or whatever. Yeah. And That's you can kind share of it on Instagram. A fun idea anyway, so just or do TikTok. by candlelight. Yeah, or TikTok. <laughs> TikTok. You can even dance if you want. Yeah. <laughs> and we can tag you. Love it. Yes. Yes. Can start a movement. Oh, that's so fun. Uh, Alan, yeah, this it, has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for oh, all for of me your too. time. Thank you, Courtney. It's been a pleasure. I mean, you're a lovely host. Thank um, you. So good luck with your that. show. Thank you. And, and stay in touch. Yeah, you too. Especially, honestly, if you want some more U.S. reach for libraries. I am very happy to help. That's good yeah. to know. Maybe I'll send you a couple of books and you take it down to your library just to show them and give it to them sort of thing. We can test that. this. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Sounds All great. Right. Good to know. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. have a good night. Thank you, Courtney. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome, welcome to the end of the episode, my lovely imposters. It took everything in me not to put in some quotes from Saw after talking about the game that Alan created. And I mean, everybody is going to be happy that I didn't probably because like, Courtney, it didn't belong. It's not the time. You need to learn. 
not the time and place. They're talking about climate change, not horror movies where they chop people's legs off. I want to play a game. Okay, so I'm so glad that you made it to the end of the episode. So, so glad that you are here. This was an incredible conversation. I am so excited about Captain Polo and all of the rest of his adventures that he's going to go on. And the entrepreneur spirit of Alan is contagious. I hope that you feel the same way. And I'm, I'm super excited for that bit of the conversation as well, because as I'm finding through interviewing a lot of people, there is a little dose of entrepreneurship in just about almost all of the different avenues and careers that I've been talking to people about. Like it always crosses over into it. And I don't know if it's just the sign of the times where you have to be, you know, marketing your own stuff and there's lots of even content out there. That's uh, There's lots of books out there. There's lots of noise out there. And to get heard, you have to understand the lay of the land and be a little bit savvy with the ropes of social media. It's an exciting time to be an entrepreneur. And it's a really exciting time to be a graphic novelist talking about climate change because it is so timely and it's so applicable. I did really mean when I told him that I would be happy to distribute some of his graphic novels here in the States. He did say in Ecuador that libraries really are not a thing. That's just not part of their culture. I I'm not quite sure if that means that they don't exist at all, but he doesn't have them available near him, at least in Ecuador. So if you were at all interested in this, after this episode airs, I will go ahead and put up a thing on Instagram, a poll, if you will, to see if you're interested. If we have enough people interested, it'd be so cool for him to send up some copies that we can distribute in the libraries here. We'll put that out there. Let me know if you're interested in helping him distribute Captain Polo to the United States. It would mean the world to me. And then we can let him know and see if we can get him some help there with the marketing part of it. I will put all of Alan's contacts at the end of this episode. Uh, Alan Hesse, Alan J. Hesse, so you know where to find him. But where can you find me? I am on Instagram at YNQPod, at YN is the Nancy Q Pod on TikTok with the same handle at YNQPod on Twitter at YNQPodcast. Email if you would like to send an email, YNQPod at gmail.com. And I have a lovely website, you're not qualified podcast.com. If you know of anybody that would be a great fit for this podcast, I am having just like truly the most fun sourcing for people to talk to. And any recommendations that you have for somebody that you think is a good fit, I am happy to take them. Please just email me, ynqpod at gmail.com, and I will reach out to see if whoever it is is interested, or if you think that you would like to be on this podcast, I'd be happy to have you. Whatever it is that you are not qualified for and you want to talk about, I'm all ears, and I hope that the listeners are too. 
So, trivia. Captain Polo is a polar bear. We know that. And I really wanted to do the whole, like, polar bears are in the Arctic and penguins are the, in the Antarctic. That's a really fun trivia bit that I like, but we covered that in the episode. So, I'm going to cover how long polar bears have been around. They have been on this earth for up to 1.7 million years. There's debate on how long. It's between 150,000 to 1.7 million. And it says the most recent school of thought held that polar bears are relatively quote unquote young evolutionarily and were in fact still very closely related to brown bears despite their differences. So they could be here for up to 1.7 million years. And I'm really, really hoping that we do not see the last of the polar bears in any of our lifetimes, including our kids. Alan Hesse is working hard to make that a reality, to save the polar bears so that we still have them while we live here and while your children live here and while their grandchildren live here. Climate change education is very important. Climate change education is not just for one specific person, okay? There are many ways that you can talk about climate change to educate those that may not know as much as you, or if you have a message that you wanna share broadly, encourage you to just do it. Let's just, just go for it. And, you know, Alan did make a good point. Talk to experts on the things that you really wanna nail down right? Like there are experts out there, but you don't need to be an expert to talk about it and share it in the medium that you want to. We live on this planet together and we're in this together. And we've got this because we have people like Alan at our corner. And I'm excited to know him. And I'm excited that you know him. I have been and always shall be your friend. Well, friends, I, I really appreciate you being here and I will see you next Thursday. Bye.